O Lord our God, we have gathered in your most holy name that we might drink together from the water of life. We come to praise you, for you are Lord of all creation, to enjoy you, for you are our Heavenly Father, to learn from you, for you are our wonderful counselor, and to serve you, for you are our almighty King. Open up the floodgates of heaven, Lord. Let the river of life flow through this great city as we seek to love our neighbors as you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are uh, going through our, a new series called Hope Has a Name, leading up, of course, to Christmas. And this series is all about hope. Christians are people of hope. Uh, it's central to how we understand uh, God and what it means to be a human being. And we believe that hope is not just good for us. Uh, it's actually essential to living a happy and a healthy and a productive life. Our souls need hope like our bodies need oxygen. I mean, we literally cannot live without hope. Something breaks down in us and life doesn't become worth living anymore. What is hope? Hope is yearning uh, for a better future and actually believing that that better future is not just possible, but perhaps even probable, perhaps even certain. In fact, hope, if you take it to its extreme, is the definition of faith. Right? Hebrews 11 says that faith is being sure of what we hope for. What is faith? Faith is being sure of what we hope for. When hope is taken to its extreme, to the point where you are certain that what you hope for will come to pass, that's faith. It's being sure, we read in Hebrews, of what we do not yet see. So to say that we are people of faith is to say that we are people of extreme hope. Do you think of yourself that way? Are you a person of extreme hope? Would other people describe you that way? Man, that Abner guy, that guy is a guy of extreme hope. Every time I see that guy, that's what oozes out of him. Is this hope? We need hope like we need oxygen. What does it feel like when we lose hope? Pastor Johnny last week talked about this feeling of, of hopelessness that some people experience. Hopelessness is that uh, terrifying and debilitating fear that tomorrow is going to be exactly like today. And for some people, that is a terrifying thought. Their lives are in just this place where I just cannot imagine having to deal with one more day that was just like today. That's hopelessness. And when you reach a point where you, have, you don't believe that anything better than what you're currently experiencing is possible, that's why people give up on their marriages. Because they don't believe things will get better. That's hopelessness. That's why people give up looking for work. Some people, if they're out of work for a certain amount of time, and they just don't believe that it's going to change. That's hopelessness. That's why people don't just give up on their marriages or give up on work. That's why people give up on life. That's why people commit suicide. When death is preferable to one more day, like what I just experienced today. When you talk to people who work with the homeless, 
we have this weird perception that people who are homeless just don't want to work or they're lazy or, you know. You know what the number one issue for ho homeless people is? Hopelessness. That's why they are where they are. They have lost hope. And so if you don't address the hope issue, you will never help someone get beyond their current circumstance. We all hope for something. And we all have areas in our lives. I could, if I spent five minutes with you, each of you, I bet you within five minutes we would find something in your life that you don't feel good about, that you feel is broken in some way, and that you know it's wrong, you know it can be better, and you yearn for it to be better. Maybe you kind of ignore that feeling because it's hard to face, but you know that there's something in your life that is not right. And so we hope, we yearn for something better. Why do we do this? Why do you hope? I, I mean, I don't see like, you know, cows hoping for anything. This is a uniquely human thing. Hope is a human trait. Why is that? Well, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, who was called the wisest man in all of history, he said this. He said, God has set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity in the human heart. There is an instinct in us. There is this ability to, to comprehend or think about eternal things. And so what does that mean, that eternity is in the human heart? That means that we know, we know in our souls that a better world than the one that we live in now is possible. Such a world either once existed or will exist someday or even better, it's actually possible right now in the present. See, when I'm thirsty, when my body feels thirst, it's evidence that my body is designed for water. My thirst points to the existence of water. In the same way, when my stomach growls and I'm hungry, my hunger points to the existence of food. We yearn for things because they actually are possible or exist. We long for community. Why do you long for relationship? Because there's such a thing as people, right? So your hunger for something points to the existence of that thing. My loneliness points to the existence of people. And so your hunger, your hope for a better world actually um, points to the existence of that world. It points to the existence of the kingdom of God, a world where everything that God intended to happen actually happens. Heaven on earth, we call it. God has set eternity in the human heart, and therefore we hope. And God cares about our hopes, as we talked about last week. God cares about our desires. So what do you want, Pastor Johnny asked last, last week. What are you after? Name that thing. What is that thing? Are you hoping for a loved one to recover from illness? Are you hoping for a relationship to be restored? Are you hoping for financial turnaround? Are you hoping for a job that you love and that will enable you to provide for your family? Are you hoping for a wayward child to come home or to get their lives in order or to stop sabotaging themselves? Are you hoping for personal healing, physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing? God cares about all those things. And so today we're going to talk about what we do while we wait. While we wait. Because sometimes it can seem like the fulfillment of our hopes 
is a long way away. And you're thinking, I don't know if like two years from now or three years from now or five years from now, if things are going to be any different. Maybe you have a little hope that they'll be better someday, but you don't hope that they'll be better someday soon. You feel like you're in for the long haul here. And you see a glimmer of hope, but it's a long way off. And before Jesus came, there was a long, long period of waiting, hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting. And we've been reading through the book of Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah wrote about the coming Messiah 700 years before he was born. That's 35 generations that were born and lived and died while they were waiting. And so there are things that you are hoping for that maybe will take months or years or even decades to be fulfilled. Maybe there are things you're hoping for that won't even happen in your lifetime. And so what do we do? The people of God need to know how to wait and how to wait well. But see, here's the thing. We live in this very rapid, fast-paced, you know, on-demand world. I remember when I used to, um, when I was a kid, my parents bought this little computer and I just spent half an hour programming in this, this little game that would move this one thing over here. And then when I turned it off, it would all be gone. And the next time I had to turn it on again, I had to type it all in again. And now, I mean, if I have to wait two seconds for my web browser to load. Like, I get annoyed. And, and, and I get mad if, I, if I'm in the grocery store and, you know, there's all these lines. And I pick what I think is the shortest one. And then the person at the front decides to have a conversation with the clerk. And I'm watching all those people. I was like, man, if I had been in that line, I would have been over there by now. Or, you know, I hate traffic. I can't stand being in traffic. It's one of the reasons we live close to the church because I... I just can't imagine spending 10 hours of my week, every week, in sitting in traffic. Some of you do that. I don't know how you do it. Hats off to you. But there's this, we suffer from this thing called hurry sickness now because our perception of time has been warped. We expect things to happen now. And it has inhibited our ability to relate to God and to wait and to wait well. So what are our options while we're waiting? for our hopes to be fulfilled. Often we have one of two, two options. One is that we give up hope. We just say, well, forget it. Or we keep on hoping. So which, which path are you going to choose? And I would beg you, I would urge you not to choose to give up hope because that, my friends, is spiritual death. You will cease to become... There's something about that God has intended for you to be as a human being will die. We must be people... Of hope, so how do we how do we keep hope alive in the meantime while we are waiting? That's what I want to talk about today. How do you keep hope alive while you're waiting, while you're waiting on God? And that's the thing, isn't it? Right, the ability to keep hope alive. First, three things. First one is we learn how to listen while you are waiting on God. You must learn to listen. The most important thing we have to do as we wait on God is learn to listen to God. And throughout history, look through the scriptures, look through Christian history. Anyone who has been close to God, they have always, 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 without exception, been people who have learned how to be alone with God. You will never find somebody who is close to God who didn't know how to be alone with God. This is the spiritual discipline that we call Solitude. Solitude. 
I want you to, to read uh, an excerpt from something that Francis Chan wrote, which I think is brilliant, and to be honest, quite convicting. Francis Chan says, we often spend a lot of time and effort gathering believers together. I mean, that's what we do in church, right? We spend all this time and energy to gather people together. He says, we become experts at gathering Christians around great bands and speakers and events where we have failed, he says, is in teaching believers how to be alone with God. When is the last time you heard someone rave about their time alone with Jesus in his word? And he says this, this just hit me in the gut. He said, gathering believers who don't spend time alone with God can be a dangerous thing. can be a dangerous thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in his book, Life Together, whoever cannot be alone should beware of community. Such people will only do harm to themselves and to the community. Alone you stood before God when God called you. Alone you had to obey God's voice. Alone you had to take up your cross and struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot avoid yourself for it is precisely God who has called you out. If you do not want to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you. And you can have no part in the community of those who are called. Francis Chan continues, he said, this word community is thrown around quite a bit in Christian circles. He says, but our gatherings can be toxic if we do not spend time alone with God. He says, I've been in many groups where people share their insights. They all share what they think. The problem is not only that our insights are not as profound as we think they are, but we're so eager to share thoughts originating in our own minds when we have a God who says that my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So when we get together, and we're just kind of sharing our own ideas, that may not be helpful. That may actually be destructive. Instead, when we get together, we should be saying, here's what we believe God is saying to us. And his thoughts are better than my thoughts. His ideas are better than my ideas. This is what he says. Francis Chan concludes. He says, I want to know the thoughts of God. I want to gather with people who have been reading God's words, people who have prayed and interacted with Him. I want to fellowship with those who fellowship with God. I couldn't care less if you have a doctorate in theology or 60 years of life experience. I would rather talk with a 15-year-old who has been in the presence of God. Amen. I got to tell you, I agreed with him. So we have to learn how to be alone with God, how to be still. We must have, and to do that, my friends, you have to have margin in your life. Some of us, and I will raise my hand and confess, I am in this camp, some of us are just way too busy. Way too busy. We have to practice 
the Sabbath, a day each week that is devoted to rest and seeking after God. And you need that time each day. You need to carve out a little bit of time each day, a white space. If your calendar is blocked off every single moment all day and you've left no white space, you're too busy. The other day, um, I finished work at 5 o'clock, which is really rare for me. And usually, because I after dinner, I'm like back on the computer, I'm calling somebody up, I'm doing something, and I'm, I'm off and up till like midnight or 1 o'clock. And this night, I said, I'm done at 5. And the whole evening, I was like, what the heck do I do with my time? I just felt like the whole world was open to me. You know? And I was like, oh, what if I did this a couple times a week? What if I had a little bit of white space in my calendar every day? Would I not feel more alive? Would I be able to listen to God more clearly? Listening to God. Why is this important? Because as you are waiting on God, what will keep hope alive is your ability to listen to God. If you can listen to God while you're awaiting, your hope will stay alive. When you sit in God's presence and when God speaks to you through his word and his spirit, it will change you. And I'm not talking, here, I want to be clear, I'm not talking about listening to a sermon on the way to work. Because sometimes that's a bit of a shortcut, it's cheating. You're listening to someone else's time with God. You know what I'm saying? You can have time with God on your own. He can speak to you. You don't have, he doesn't have to speak through some other preacher or some pastor. Spend time directly with God. There is no substitute for savoring God and being with God. And if you don't have time to do that, you need to quit something in order to make room. If that means skipping a meal, what we call fasting, skipping a meal once a week so you can have that time with God, or canceling a meeting, or ending some commitment that you have, there's nothing more important that you could do than to clear space in your life for God. And if you're new to Christianity, um, this may sound foreign to you. I remember when I was uh, first learning to follow Jesus, that, this was weird. I didn't understand what people were talking about. What do you mean time alone with God? How do you hear his voice? And what I want to encourage you to do is do not wait for some class to be offered. Just come up to one of our pastors or one of our leaders and say, I don't know how to do this. Teach me how to do this. We will make time for you because this is important. We'll make time to walk with you through those steps. And we believe discipleship is best done in those little small groups. Um, and so we would love to personally help you discover how to spend time with God in prayer, understand his word, listen to his voice. So that's the first thing. We listen. We listen while we wait on God. Secondly, we grow. We grow. Intentionally, we grow. While we wait, we grow. We work on ourselves. Right? We work on ourselves. In um, Second Peter... We read this, Peter writes this, that Christ's divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. Everything we need. And so for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, add self-control. Some of you are at this point where this is the area in your life that you need to work on. Self-control. And to, uh, to, to faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. What is, what is Peter trying to say here? He's saying, you're never done growing. There's always like another level until you get to that point of perfect Christ-like 
unconditional, divine, holy love. Is anybody there yet? No. You got room to grow, right? <laughs> if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. And I would add to that, unhopeful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there an area in your life that you need to change? You need to repent. That's what the word repent means. It means to change direction. You need to repent and start coming towards God. Is there an area where perhaps God is not going to answer your prayer until you are ready to receive that blessing? Because you haven't changed yet. You're not ready yet. Right? If, if my child um, has this tendency to be really reckless and not think things through, am I going to hand him the keys to the car? Yeah. He says, but dad, I'm 16. I don't care if you're 16. You're not ready. <clears throat> right? What if God is a good father and there are certain things that he wants to give us? He says, you're not ready yet. You need some, there's some growing you got to do. And so growing in Christ-likeness, making an effort, making an effort to add to our faith goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and love, that keeps our hope alive because you're progressing, you're moving, right? Because even though you may not see breakthrough in that situation that you're hoping for, you're growing as a person. And while you wait for God to turn your hopes into reality, I would encourage you to work on yourself. Make every effort to do so. Worship with us on Sundays. Get involved in a small group. Serve in ministry. Read. Attend books. Uh, attend seminars and workshops. Hit the gym. Right? Book a counseling appointment with me or uh, one of our pastors or a therapist. Always keep growing. Don't ever stop growing as you're waiting on God. Uh, I have an uncle who has passed away a few years ago, um, and he retired early. He figured out, he did the math, and he figured out that he could retire at the age of like 50 and not have to work anymore for the rest of his life, and that's what he did. And it um, turns out that the retirement package wasn't quite as good as he thought, um, so his wife worked, but he didn't go back to work. And he spent the next 30 years of his life watching TV and gambling and smoking. And every time I went over to visit him, this was when I was living in Taiwan, he was in the same spot, smoking and watching TV. And that's how he spent the last 30 years of his life. Um, can't help but feel heavy in my heart when I think about this. While you're waiting on God, what are you doing to work on yourself? What are you doing? The third thing that we do as we wait on God is to move, is to do something, to stay active and to stay busy. Waiting on God does not imply inactivity or passivity. While we wait, we get busy. And let me explain. Let me, let me re uh, share a verse that I think will illuminate this for you. Uh, we, we read, uh, we've been going through Isaiah, and I want to read. This is the people of God were, were, were waiting. 
for a promise to be fulfilled, for, uh, for freedom from captivity, for their savior to arrive, for all kinds of things. And this is what, what God said to them through the prophet Isaiah. He said, do you not know? Haven't you heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator to the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men will stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What is God promising here as we wait? Notice it does not say, don't you, don't you know who God is? He allows you to sit back and relax while he does all the work. He gives good sleep to the tired. And he's, no, he says he gives strength. He gives power. He enables us to soar. And if, if you don't have the strength to soar, then he gives you the strength to run. And if you don't have the strength to run, he'll give you the strength to walk. And I imagine if you kept going, if you don't have the strength to walk, he'll give you the strength to crawl. But you're still moving. You're still acting. You're still doing what needs to be done each day. God promised us promises us to give us strength to keep moving while we wait. But he doesn't say that we just lie there and do nothing. There's this really eye-opening exchange in Exodus, which I, which I really kind of get a kick out of. Um, Pharaoh has let the Israelites free from captivity. He set them free. And Moses is leading them out of Egypt. Okay, remember that story? And Pharaoh and his officials, as they're leaving, they change their mind. And they say, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and we have lost their services. We had it good. We had free labor, right? And so they go after them with the entire army. And the Israelites, we read, they see them and they panic. And they say, Moses, you brought us here to die. What were you, what were you thinking? You should have left us alone in Egypt. And Moses answers the people. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Don't be afraid, everybody. Stand firm. He says, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And he says, you only need to be still. Just sit there. You just need to be still, okay? It's going to be all right. And the next line just kills me. Then the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> Tell the Israelites to move on. Are you crazy? Don't just stand there. Go. <laughs> Raise your staff, he says, and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Don't stand there. I'll fight for you, but you've got to keep moving, guys. And then Pharaoh and his armies, they head in, and God closes the water on them, and he, he rescues them. He saves them. But I love this. Why are you crying out to me? Get up, move. And sometimes I believe that this is what the Lord says to us, right? There is a time for prayer, but there's also a time to get up and move. We may be praying for God to provide us with a job. And God says, why are you crying out to me? Get out there and start looking for work. 
I will open doors for you, but you need to move, right? There is a time for doing nothing when we really just, there's nothing that we can do. And there is a time for the Sabbath when we are intentionally supposed to do nothing. We do need to cease from all activity from time to time, but most of the time we're moving. God often will not act until we take a step of faith. And there's a saying that you cannot steer a parked car. You've got to be moving for God to steer you. While we wait on God, we need to stay busy. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Get out of your comfort zone. I love this, this uh, saying that a, a ship is safe in harbor. But that's not what ships are for. Not what ships are for. You were designed to be a person in motion. You can, be, you can be safe, but you're not meant to be safe. You're not meant to just live a comfortable life. A Christian may feel safe in the walls of this church, but that's not what we were saved for. Do you feel comfortable here? Do you feel like you can worship, you know, free from any kind of criticism, and you can just, just be a Christian here? It's safe here, isn't it? It's comfy. But that's not what you're here for. You were saved for. Our mission is out there. There are times when ships need to come into harbor, but that's not what they're for. So for hope to stay alive, we have to stay in motion. Sitting around doing nothing all day, that it will wear your soul. I have had friends who've been out of work for a long time, and I just I urge them, I say, just get out of the house. You don't stay there all day. Get out, volunteer somewhere if you have to, but be productive, be useful. Don't stay where you are. Isaiah 40 doesn't say God will do everything while we sit on our butts. God gives strength to the weary. He increases our power. He renews our strength. And so my hope comes from the knowledge that while I wait for God to do his part, he is going to help me do my part. He gives me strength to endure. And that's his grace at work. So why, then, why do we hope? We hope because of who Jesus is and what he came to do. He came to announce the year of the Lord's favor, to heal broken hearts, to set the captives free, to reconcile sinners to God, to give us life in all its fullness. Jesus came to teach us how to become fishers of people, to make all things new. He came to do all of these things. And through faith in Christ, we become children of God and we inherit eternal life. You have inherited eternal life through Jesus Christ. Christ. But there is a difference between inheriting a gift and enjoying and possessing that gift. It's not quite the same thing. So here's an example. I am blessed with the knowledge that my parents, when they pass away, that they will leave me and my sisters and uh, their grandchildren with some kind of inheritance. You know, not a lot. You know, you split it up. And, but but. I mean, that warms my heart. Um, not, the, not the idea that they won't be with us anymore, but that they, they love us and they're thinking of us. And, and they have worked hard all their lives, and one of their hopes is that they can leave us with some kind of inheritance. Now, that inheritance is not in my possession right now, is it? Okay, But I know it's mine. And so I do enjoy it to a degree. It does give me a sense of gratitude. It is evidence to me of my parents' love, and so I feel blessed. But you see, I don't own it yet. It's not in my position, possession yet. But 
from time to time, my parents will bless us with some kind of gift out of their finances. One time they bought uh, new beds for the kids. Uh, another time uh, we were um, saving up for a, a new car. Uh, we like to uh, buy used cars and pay, pay cash, so we save up every month for like years. And they said, well, you're almost there. And they gave us a gift to kind of top us up because we kind of needed it now. And they, so they gave us what is, was like an early advance on our inheritance, like an early deposit. And they were giving us a little bit of our future inheritance to enjoy and use now. And our inheritance in Christ is eternal life, but God has given us an early deposit on that inheritance. We get to enjoy a measure of eternal life now. In Ephesians, Paul writes this, When you believed in Christ, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are Christ's possession to the praise of his glory. Here's the thing. While we are waiting, while we are waiting to be called home to God, while we are waiting for all of our hopes to be fulfilled, God makes his home with us. Jesus is the word made flesh. God came into his creation to be among us. We call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he promised that after he died and rose from the dead, he would send another counselor to be with us and give us power to accomplish all that he has called us to do, to guide us into all truth, to be our companion, help us to live a holy and righteous life, and that's the Holy Spirit. So what keeps hope alive in me as I am listening and as I am growing and as I'm moving, what keeps hope alive is knowing that Jesus is Lord and he has a plan and he is making all things new, starting with me, and he's with us, and he is in us, and I'm not alone. I'll give you a couple of examples of how this is working in my life. A couple of situations that I've been praying for for a long time, and just I'm stuck. Uh, my relationship with my mother has not been good for pretty much my whole life. Um, I won't get into the details, but... Uh, uh, when we see each other at Christmas, uh, there's always the risk of fireworks and conflict. Um, and I don't know what to do sometimes. I don't know how to bridge that gap. But as I'm waiting for God to answer my prayers, for us to be reconciled to each other, what would happen if I started spending more time listening to God and what would happen if I spent more time alone with God? What would happen if I, as I'm waiting on God, I worked on myself and my issues and my baggage and I repented of my sins and I worked on myself? What would happen if during that time I took action, I moved, I did whatever I could to build bridges with my mother while I'm waiting for that full reconciliation? A friend of mine uh, has been out of work, as I mentioned, for a long time, and he's losing hope real fast. What would happen if he spent time listening to God, alone with God? What would happen if he worked on himself and his skills and his, his, his faith, his maturity, some of the issues that maybe led him to have difficulty in his previous job? What would happen if he got busy applying for work? 
and getting out there. So do you see, think about that situation where you are fighting to keep hope alive and ask yourself, have I been listening to God? Have I been working on myself? And have I been staying active? Am I doing whatever I can? And if you do those things and you know that God is in you and God is with you, your hope will remain alive. I want to close with this. I want to tell you about um, the bamboo tree. It's actually a grass. Actually the fastest growing grass in the world. It's, it's a grass that looks like a tree, but it doesn't behave like any other plant. Um, the thing you have to know about bamboo is it's, it's special in this. It's like every other plant in that bamboo requires water and good soil and sunshine, just like any other plant. And in the first year, though, there's no signs of any growth. Nothing. And in the second year, same thing. Nothing. Just keep watering it. Nothing. Right? Third year. Fourth year. Fifth year. Nothing. 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 But around the sixth year or so, sixth or seventh year, around that time, a little shoot just kind of pokes through the soil. And then all of a sudden, it just goes whoosh, right? And it just starts growing like crazy. And in six weeks, it can grow 80 to 100 feet. In six weeks, overnight, in 24 hours, that bamboo can grow three feet in 24 hours. It's the fastest growing plant in the world once it gets going. And the other thing you need to know about bamboo is that it never grows alone. You never see just one bamboo shoot. They grow in clusters. They grow in forests and in colonies. And, and you'll see hundreds or thousands of them all together. And the thing you need to know about bamboo is we look at how tall they are, but 80% of their mass is under the ground. They're strong. Their roots go deep, and it's all kind of mixed together. It's like they're a community. And so here's what I want to encourage you with. When you think nothing is happening, a whole lot may be happening underneath the surface. And that thing that you've been waiting for three years, four years, five years, maybe 20 years, what if you are just around the corner from God beginning to go and this amazing growth and it's like oh my gosh how did that happen and it's that faithful year after year after year never giving up hope and continuing to follow Christ I'm telling you we live in a quick fix society and it's killing our relationship with God be in this for the long haul God's timeline is not your timeline and when you feel like nothing is happening a whole lot could be happening if you wait on God and during while you're waiting on God you are listening and you are growing and you are moving then pretty soon one day soon you're going to see that whoosh 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 and you're going to see the power of God exploding in your life as you're waiting what are you doing and what's happening underneath the surface and are you waiting well are you waiting with God? With God. You're not alone. That gives me hope. I hope it gives you hope too. Let's pray.
it is a challenge. It's a battle, Lord, to um, stay hopeful, to keep hope alive. When we don't see any reason for it, it doesn't seem like a whole lot is changing. But just like that bamboo plant, maybe a lot is happening underneath the surface. And in the meantime, as we wait, I pray that we be faithful. We continue to spend time alone with you, to seek after you, to listen to your voice. Lord, we pray that um, during the waiting, we'll be working on ourselves, uh, thinking about the things that we need to change. How do you want to transform us, Lord? And during that time that we stay busy, we keep moving. For those maybe whose marriage is just stuck in a bad place, help them to listen to you, God. Help them to keep working on themselves. And to stay busy, keep, keep going to those counseling appointments. Keep, keep reaching out for support. Stay busy. Stay active. Do what we can. And just trust, God, that you're with us in all of that. And you will bring restoration. You will bring victory. It's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. So, Lord, we thank you. Because help is on the way. And we are not alone. Pray these things in Jesus' name.